Welcome to the Shepherd's Crook Podcast. The Shepherd's Crook exists to provide care, counsel, and resources for pastors. You can get more information at theshepherdscrook.co. My name is Jared Sparks, and I'm a pastor. Come alongside other pastors, reminding them of the chief pastor. Welcome to the Shepherd's Crook Podcast. Excited to have on a gentleman that I've listened to over the years, a great pastor, a great preacher, uh, Neil McClendon. Neil, how you doing? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Good. Well, we're going to pray and we're just going to get right into some questions. And I think uh, my listeners are really going to enjoy this conversation. So let's pray. Father, I thank you for this time. I thank you for for Neil McClendon and all that you've done in his life and continue to do through his life. And uh, Lord, I just ask this conversation would be helpful. And I I ask that the listeners would be encouraged and uh, challenged. I pray that young pastors listening or seminarians would be Uh, encouraged with what your word has to say about pastoral ministry. And as we hear about what you've done through Neil's life, I just ask that you would help us and guide us in our lives as well. We, uh, we trust that you're going to point a spotlight on Jesus during this conversation and uh, just lead us through it in Jesus name. We pray. Amen. Amen. All right, Neil, for those who may not know who you are, would you go ahead and just tell us a little bit about who you are, uh, your family, and then what it is that you do? Yeah, I, uh, I am married. I've been married for 20, almost 27 years uh, to an incredible woman named Marcy. Uh, we have two daughters. They're 22 and 16. Uh, my oldest is a senior at Baylor. Uh, my youngest is a junior in high school. Uh, I am the lead pastor at Grand Parkway Baptist Church in Richmond, Texas, which is a suburb of Houston. Okay. Did you guys get flooded down there, Neil, when the, all the flooding was happening a couple years ago? Uh, yeah, Hurricane Harvey. We didn't get it personally, but a lot of people were affected. So we had guys out, you know, teams out ripping out sheetrock and removing insulation, basically just being Jesus with skin on the people. Uh, and we, we'd be working in one house and somebody across the street or two doors down would come down just absolutely abjectly hopeless. And what do we do? I'm like, hey, we'll be there in two hours. You just stay mm-hmm. right there. Uh, so, yeah, we, we didn't get it. Some of our people got it, but the church didn't flood. Okay, gotcha. All right. Well, if you would kind of just like wind the clock back a little bit and uh, just tell us when you were converted and if that was younger in life, older in life, just tell us a story about when you met Jesus. Yeah, I was converted. I was 18. I, could, I know exactly when it was. It was July 5th, 1982, about 935 at night. Um, and the reason I know that, I don't think that's necessary to people, you know, like my wife, she couldn't tell you like on this day and this time. She just says, right. I know I was converted. Uh, but uh I worked, I was a very, uh, grew up in a very dysfunctional home, no dad, uh, but I went to work for a man when I was 16 in a sporting goods store that was the first really integrated Christian I'd ever been around. Mm. And it was the first time I experienced love and authority in the same relationship. And so why do I tell you that? I tell you that because every year when his youth group would go to church camp, he would fire me for the week. He would say, you can't come to, to work on that week, but if you go to camp, I'll pay your way and I'll pay your salary while you're there. Wow. Because we were poor and I had to work to help support the family. So. It was, I was like, okay, whatever. So I went when I was 16, terrible. It was just, I didn't understand a word the guy said. <laughs> I went the next year, just emotional manipulation, guilt, terrible. Uh, and so I graduated and he said, this is your last chance. I can't make you, but I'd really like you to go. I went and I heard the gospel. Wow. Uh, it, it was just this undiluted, here's the gospel. You're a wretched sinner and a merciful God has sacrificed his son uh, on the cross in your place for your sin. And it captivated me. 
Mm. Uh, and so I went forward during the invitation and then I was, I, I, I was shaking the guy's hand and he said, why'd you come? And I didn't know what to say. I only knew one church word. My friends all used it because they'd go to camp and come back and say, I'm not drinking anymore. And I would say, well, why not? And they were like, well, I rededicated my life. So I just thought that's what you did. Okay. So I said to the guy, hey, he said, why'd you come forward? I said, I need to rededicate my life. And he mm. squeezed my hand really hard. I looked at him like, you want to get knocked out? What are you doing? Uh, and he just smiled and he said, you can't rededicate something you don't have, son. Mm. And he said, has Christ ever changed your life? I said, how do you know? He said, you're, you're never the same after that. Uh, and, and I said, I'm the same person I've always been. And he looked mm. me right in the eye and he goes, then you don't know Christ. And, wow. and I didn't feel condemned by that. I felt helped. Mm. Uh, and then a guy yeah. named Richard Roach, who was a counselor at the camp. I just remember his name because his last name was Roach. Uh, set me down and walked me down what I now know to be the Roman road. Just, mm. and, and he got to Romans 10, 13. He says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. He said, uh, I want you to put your name in there, Neil, instead of whosoever. I want you to say it out loud. And, and just enunciating out loud, if Neil calls upon the name of the Lord, Neil will be saved. Wow. Broke me. I was, I couldn't get words out, Jared. I just, I was sitting on a bunk bed and just leaned forward and just prostrated myself out on the ground face down. And it, it just, it, something broke off of me. Uh, and I sobbed uncontrollably. I, need, I needed a cigarette and a hot shower when I was done. Uh, uh, and even then, you, you, even back then, if you just asked me, you're a good person, I'd have said, yeah, I'm, I'm not a bad person, you know. But I walked out. I, this was, this is singed in my brain. I walked out and I didn't go to church. I went every once in a while, my, my boss invited me or something. But there was a little girl about in eighth grade standing in front of the whole youth group. They were standing there. I walked mm-hmm. out of the counseling room and that little girl gasped, went, oh, not you. <laughs> that's great thought, wow am i that bad <laughs> so yeah because of the the details just the sovereignty of god around it is it's very um still very concrete to me yeah okay well that fantastic jesus changes your life you're never the same again you know what it means to to be converted now you're, you're walking with the lord so fast forward us then into this call into ministry so uh, i'm primarily working with with pastors young and old but a lot of young guys are trying to navigate that internal desire to to preach or yeah. to be in ministry and so you got to have the internal and the external what was that like for you that internal and external call to ministry? yeah let, let me say this and hopefully we'll get back to it at the end okay. of this answer uh, yeah. and if i don't pursue me on it uh okay. I, I think there's a difference in desire and calling i say this okay. a lot to to my church to young men in my church uh to be desirous is not to be called I think there's a lot of people that are desirous of ministry and, and I'm going to sound like an old guy here cause I am, uh, and I'm okay with that. Uh, but I, shortly after I was converted, I knew, I, I mean, this gnawing, I had this gnawing sense that something's on me and I can't get it off. Uh, and a guy walked over to me, uh, put his hand on my shoulder at church. And he said, uh, son, if God's calling you to ministry, you don't need to run. I put my Bible down for two weeks and didn't touch it. Now this is when I was converted, I, I was, I, I was a pagan. So I would go to work and come home. I, I'd eat supper with my mom in front of the TV, watching mash. And I'd go to my room, and read the Bible for like three hours. It just captivated me. Hmm. But I set it on the dresser and didn't touch it for two weeks. So I thought that might get me. Uh, so that knowing thing didn't go away. That's right. the, it for me, the internal, the external. Uh, I always say to young guys, if, what does the body of Christ around you uh, affirm and say about you? Uh, because if you're the only person that thinks you're called to ministry, you're probably not called. 
Yeah. Uh, and this is where I think we get in trouble because there's a cottage industry, Jared, that has sprung up in America. Uh, a lot of churches have institutes and all this stuff. And, mm. and I, I'm not, I don't want to be the guy that's known for what he's against. That's not me. I'm a very joyful, hopeful person. But I think we've got a cottage industry that has sprung up, that has taken on it, it, the task of teaching uncalled people how to do called work. And I just don't think there's that many called people in, in America. Yeah. I, and, and <clears throat> church planting, I get in trouble. I'm all for church planting. We support church plants. Uh, but I think church planting is where a lot of uncalled people go to, mm. to experiment with their ministry desires. Mm. And 18 months to two, three years in, the, their wife leaves them or they have an emotional breakdown or they kill themselves and everybody acts yeah. surprised. Uh, but I'm like, Hey, cause I see a lot of these guys, they call me, you know, I get emails. Hey, I'm living in Indiana and, and, and I'm, I'm hating my life. I want to get in my car and just drive off. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and you start peeling back the layers. No one's ever had a really, what I call just a foundational conversation that, that said, Hey man, what, like simple quick, what is the body of Christ uh, locally and at large? What does it affirm about you? Because if you're the only person that thinks you're called, you're probably not called. Yeah. I had people around me that would come up to me and say things. Man, I was really unchurched. And back then, the real speaker guy was a guy named Dawson McAllister, who used to do these walk to the cross conferences. And people would say to me, oh, man, you're anointed. I had no idea what that word meant. I just thought, that sounds like what the charismatic people talk about. Right, exactly. But yeah. people would say, you're going to be the next Dawson McAllister. And I was like, who's Dawson McAllister? I don't know who these people are. Uh, and so, but really, in hindsight, what they were saying was we recognize something and we want to lay our hands on you and bless you. Matter of fact, last night I wrote a letter. Uh, the pastor that ordained me is struggling with Parkinson's right now. And it's mm. probably in the last six to nine months of his life. Okay. And I just wrote him a letter and just said, hey, I just want you to know that what you, he was preaching that I was converted uh, at the camp. And then when I was in seminary, he pastored a church in the Fort Worth area. I went to his church and I just said, hey, I want you to know this little investment you made in me, what God's done with it. Um, because I think calling is consequential more than it's comforting. Okay. Uh, I, I said to my wife last week, I said, I don't mind being a servant until people start treating me like one. Mm. Then I want to be offended. Yeah. But I think the calling, capital C, that's internal and external, there's this rhythm to it. It's syncopated. It's, it's, I'm experiencing it from people. Uh, I mean, October's Clergy Appreciation Month. I have so many people in my church come up to me and I, I got a ton of emails this morning just saying, Hey, thank you for preaching the gospel. Mm. Thank you for preaching uh, the Bible uh, with undiluted sternness and yet deep, deep grace. Uh, and, and so if there are days where I'm like, man, is this really what I'm called to do? I'm surrounded by a cloud of witnesses that yeah. chant repetitively. Yes, yes, yes. And, and, and that's very comforting for me, and it's very consequential. Yeah, that's good. One of the things that we do for our guys that are looking to come up and, and be an elder at our church or to be called in, you know, into a position at another church and as we're helping find them placement, one of the things we have them listen to is actually a sermon that you had preached. It was, an ordination, it was the ordination of Aaron Cotton. And I listened to that, and somehow I was scrolling through there, and I hadn't listened to a sermon from you from a couple of years, and I just clicked on that. I thought, I'm going to listen to that. And uh, it went around circles in our church and everybody started listening to that. And, and I tell you that I'm going to put that in the show notes because you do such a good job of highlighting what there, there's not many called men. There's a lot of young men that want to go into ministry because it's, it's a, it's a cool thing to do, or that's the environment that they're in. And that seems to be the next logical decision to make is, well, I'm just going to go into ministry. It seems like a fun thing to do. And uh, you make a really good distinction there of what it means to be a called man. 
who's I think one line you said who's known in hell yeah and uh who's who makes hell shake in their boots or something like that I don't know but uh but anyways that that is really helpful um really helpful okay so now you so you get called into ministry and and it is was consequential it was it was a significant thing and then you've gotten opportunities over the years I actually met you when you were on your you still doing it was before your pastor in Grand Parkway I think and you were uh it was in 2002 or three working with student life camp you were the preacher it was uh it was I forget I think it was in Ruston Louisiana maybe or somewhere out there yeah. and uh okay so yeah and you were doing the itinerant thing now you did that for several years, I think. Is that right? Now you did that, and then you switched and, and became the pastor of Grand Park, Parkway. How how long have you been at Grand Grand Parkway now? I've been at Grand Park. It'll be fourteen years in April. Yeah, I traveled full time itinerantly from June of eighty nine to April of two thousand six. Uh, I started as a pastor in April third of two thousand six. Uh, so yeah, I I traveled all over. I loved it. Uh, I don't miss it. Uh, got, occasionally people still call me to come speak at something. I try to talk them out of it. Uh, because I think most of, uh, I think that's another cottage industry that I think the entrepreneurial spirit has taken the church captive. Uh, and there's a lot of people making money off the body of Christ. Who's not mm -hmm. always very discerning. Uh, but that's for another time, but I, I loved it. I enjoyed what I did. I, I just think in my mind, uh, I pastored people for two to five days at a time. Uh, I, I never right. saw myself as a speaker guy. I didn't sell merchandise. I thought that was cheesy and just terrible. I mean, and people would say, you know, where's your merch? And, and my, I always ask the same question. If I really preach the gospel, are these people going to want to shop when I'm done? Uh, and, and, and I don't disparage people yeah. that did. I mean, I had guys tell me, you know, oh, you're leaving money on the table. Uh, okay. I, okay mm. I guess, I guess, I don't, I don't know, but yeah. I, I loved it. It was lonely sometimes because, uh, as an itinerant person, you weren't expected to have biblical theology. You're mm -hmm. supposed to have a successful methodology. How do I get, especially students, to come forward? And my thing was, how do I get them to understand the gospel? Because mm -hmm. uh, that's enough. That's a win for me. If 500 kids come forward and cry, and the Holy Spirit has not regenerated their heart, I've, I've, to quote Jesus, I, I've traveled across land and sea, uh, and, and I've made them, and, and, when they, and when they convert, quote unquote, I've made them twice the son of hell as I am. Uh, yeah. if, if I don't rely on the spirit and, and there's not a, uh, it's hard to rely on the spirit when somebody brings you in and pays you a lot of money for four days and they want to see tangible results and things, mm -hmm. things they can film and send to their donors and say, see, this is working. Uh, and so it's lonely to be the guy in the room that just kind of says, I don't think the Holy spirit's leading us that way tonight. Mm -hmm. uh, cause their mentality is, Hey, shut up and dance monkey dance. <laughs> so yeah. Th Thursday night is when the conversions happen. And so yeah, you, make yeah. sure you, you know, that's, that's the, that's the, that's the call. That's the night. So yeah. And, and the Holy Spirit is so systematic. He does it the same way week in and week out. And I just, I think that grieves the spirit. Yeah. I'm going to go out on a limb and, and do a little rabbit trail, rabbit trail, uh, work sure. here for a second but it sounds like you've been influenced a little bit and eugene peterson's got you know some unique and weird aspects to his theology but his pastoral stuff on pastoral ministry was dynamite you sound a little bit like eugene peterson in some of the things you've said have you been influenced heavily by him i get that i've read a lot of his stuff people say that i just mm -hmm. really i've been influenced i would say the short answer is yes but more than anything, i've been influenced by just looking around i think in ministry we tend jared to trust everybody else's voice mm -hmm. except our own 
Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and everybody else's experience except our own. I just, I would go to these things. I mean, when I was traveling, I spoke at all the things you're supposed to want to speak at, mm-hmm. you know, super summer, Texas, student life, this evangelism conference, blah, blah, blah. Uh, and this is the way I, I say it. Like lady in my church came up to me two Sundays ago and she's like a dash. She's like, Oh, you didn't tell me you started seeing at the pole. And I was like, why, why would I tell you that? Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and she's like, well, I was in Fort Worth and, and this guy that was there said, yeah, you came up with a name. And I said, yeah. And, and I, I, don't, I don't think in those terms, but, mm-hmm. but you just look around and everything gets taken hostage by entrepreneurs. And then yeah. it becomes something it was never intended to be. Yeah. And so for me, I would just look around at camps and conferences and I'm, I'm thinking through this ax filter of it seemed pleasing to the Holy Spirit and to us. Uh, what seems pleasing to the Holy Spirit. And, and, and I'm aware that there are people that are like, hey, we just need kids to get saved. Well, if, if we were responsible for that, then, then we should think that way. But we're not. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I think we've got, they talk about every subsequent generation gets named, you know, millennials, Gen X, Z, whatever it is this week. Uh, I think a lot of that is the product, from a spiritual perspective, is the product of a man-centered, insufficient theology. Yeah. That, that it's deeply disorienting to kids. Kids would come up to me at, at camp and say, you know what? I've decided this week I'm really not a Christian and I don't know if I want to be yet. And, and I would say, glory to God, hmm. glory to God. Thank you for realizing that. And, and then I would say, I'm going to pray that God reveals himself to you. Mm-hmm. And so, yes, Eugene Peterson, uh, yes, uh, to the Pauline epistles yeah. and looking mm-hmm. around and, and, and realizing the church we preach to does not look a whole lot like the church we preach about. Hmm. And, and, and that that should bother us not not provoke us to anger uh but but it should provoke us to to a godly sorrow yeah. uh and, and and an unction and a, a compassion and this weird hybrid mix that only the holy spirit i think can get us to uh when it comes to because here's the thing i would go speak of these big events and people would be like uh okay hey uh are you going to give an invitation uh you know, we know you're a Calvinist. You don't give invitations. And I'm like, have I ever used that word? I just believe the Bible. Uh, but then, By I the would, way, you're the only person I've ever believed when they say, I just believe the Bible. I actually believe it when you said, I remember you saying that and think, I actually believe that. That's not a copy. But here's, here's the danger. Here's another rabbit trail. You may have, have to cut this into six parts. Uh, <laughs> That's all right. A, I just think that because we use these labels like Calvinist, I get asked that all the time. I mean, I just... Stop. Why do you have to go outside of the biblical text to get a word to describe a man who just says, I believe the text and I preach the whole counsel of God's word? Because here's what's happening. We can't think beyond our experience. Here's what's happening. We're the body of Christ is losing the capacity to see who's really preaching the whole counsel of God's word because you look at certain individuals and you say, well, he talks like that or he talks about those things because he's a Calvinist. Mm-hmm. When in reality, what's happening is now that's in the Bible. Yeah. And that, yeah. that person has the, it's not courage. That person has grasped, this comes with calling. He has grasped the moral responsibility to be in, in season and out of season, as Paul told Timothy, to preach the word. Yeah. Uh, uh, and, and, and that's like we preach expository at my church. We go through books of the Bible. We're, we're been in John for a couple of years now. We're getting, we're almost done. Uh, and my people are like, I've never been in a church where we just went through books of the Bible. Yeah. Uh, I said, yeah, it, it causes you to preach about things you by nature wouldn't preach about because mm-hmm. we're all hardwired for about 10 sermons that, that come out hundreds of different ways, but we say the same 10 things. And the Bible's very textured. Uh, I think we should close our eyes when we preach 
when we're, when we're studying, we should close our eyes and run our fingers along the jagged contours of the text and let it cut us. Let us feel what the Bible says. When the Bible's angry, be angry. When the Bible's yeah. soft, be soft. Uh, when the Bible is beautifully, beautifully God-centered, then be beautifully God-centered. Yeah. Uh, but the way you, quote, unquote, grow a church is that you be man-centered mm-hmm. and you preach methods. The gospel is not advice. It's news. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and so, yeah, I just think that we can't see past our generation and, and we are damning ourselves uh, because a lot of people that are, quote, unquote, successful in America right now are pretty atheological. There's no yeah. substance. Agreed. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. Well, I want to hit on a couple of things that you had said. First, the the entrepreneurial spirit that's everywhere. If you take any gift gifts or assessment tests or go to church planning cohorts and all this kind of stuff, they want to know if you're entrepreneurial and if you're you know cutting edge and if you can get out there and just do the thing. And and I'm I, I've struggled so much with that for years now. I was I planted a church when I was 26 or 20 24 and was clueless. I left student life and went back to school and. And started a church in my home or in a town, one town over from my hometown. And uh, and then have been a part of two or three church plants since then. And I'm hopefully where God God has me for the next, well, and for the rest of my life, I, I hope. And uh, we need more people who forget being an entrepreneurial, uh, an entrepreneurial spirit, be a historian, be a biblicist, <laughs> understand the Bible and church history, and don't reinvent the wheel. Just be biblical. Just find out what the regulative principle is for church planting and do that. And uh, yeah, I, I don't, I don't think, I, I think there's too many people that are driven by, by creativity instead of content. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, every once in a while, and I, and, and I, I'm sure this says something about me, but young guys will contact me and say, Hey, can I come spend a day with you? And I'm like, absolutely. My, my schedule's kind of crazy, but how about two Tuesdays from now? And they come and they'll spend a day. And I'm like, you can, you can meet with any of our staff, ask them any questions you want, ask them what I'm like. Am I a jerk? Am I mean to them? And, and they all walk away and go, man, uh, this is, you're very gracious. And, and I'm like, what did you think I was? Uh, <laughs> you know, I, 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 don't, I don't know. I just thought it'd be more like a business. Uh, yeah. But it's very relational. And, and one guy said, yeah. He said, one of your pastors said, you walk down the hall some days at three o'clock and go, go home. This will be here tomorrow. I said, yeah, because it will. Mm-hmm. It, it will. This is not uh, uh, every once in a while, some will glitch technology wise. And I'll just stand up and say like a couple of Sundays ago, a lady had a seizure uh, mm-hmm. right in the middle of worship. I mean, wow. down in the floor. And I just, and the worship guys looking at me like, hello, hello. And I got up and said, Hey, uh, this is not a performance. Uh, this is, this is an organism. This is not an organization. The church is an organism. And one of our sisters has had a seizure. Uh, she's fine. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll get taken care of. We have, we have medical personnel. So let's just, let's just stretch out our hands and pray. And people start clapping. It's like, thank you. Thank you for being human. And so I, I think that I, I don't believe the entrepreneurial spirit. I, I think that the way we plant churches, we use means that are not biblical. And what we end up with is something that's not the church. And then yeah. we try to figure out what happened. We try to reverse engineer it. Mm-hmm. Well, what happened is, is that you had a flawed uh, assumption to begin with. Mm-hmm. And so people, I think people are tired of that. Uh, it's, uh, I'll give you a biblical paradigm for it. Uh, it's Mark 8, where uh, uh, much of church planting uh, methodology, it's not a theology, it's a methodology, uh, mu- but much of our ecclesiology today, our theology of the church, for me, is unfortunately, comes from Mark 8, where this blind guy comes up to Jesus, and he says, hey, can you heal me? And Jesus is like, dude, who are you talking to? Of course. And mm-hmm. so he touches the guy's eyes, 
And Jesus says, can you see? And he said, well, I see people walking around, but they're like trees. And Jesus is like, well, that isn't good. And so he touches him a second time. And the guy says, oh, I see clearly now. I continue to see hundreds, if not thousands of eager young men who uh, they want to be the next fill in the blank. They want to be the mm-hmm. next Matt Chandler, the next Francis Chan, the next Tim Keller. Uh, and I always say the same thing. Who's going to be the first you? Uh, yeah, but sure. here's why I, I see them in Mark 8. They, they're like the blind guy after the first touch. They see people like trees. They see, they see and treat people like things. And mm-hmm. so uh, they don't care about people. They care about their brand and getting themselves out there. And uh, it, those are the guys that their kids, their wife and kids kind of look at them over time and kind of like, you don't care about us. Mm-hmm. You want to be somebody in the religious subculture in America. Right. Uh, but it, it's, and people pick up on it that they realize mm-hmm. you don't see me. You don't move towards me. I'm a thing that you're using to establish your idea and ideology of what the church should be. And, and again, we use methods uh, and assumptions that are not biblical yeah. to produce something that's not the church. Agreed. It happens well, all the time. Yeah. And I think an underdeveloped ecclesiology, and I think for a lot of planters and young guys, they have a hyperdeveloped missiology that's disconnected from their ecclesiology. It's not rooted there. And so if you're yeah. just so focused on missiology, 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 and you don't have a healthy structure and a healthy ecclesiology, it's, a, it's just a matter of time where burnout's coming. It's just a matter of time. Yeah. And Christianity, Jared, before it's personal, it's historical. Mm-hmm. And, and, and we have lost a historical, I mean, aspect or un, and, and understanding of, of, of the Christian faith. Uh, mm-hmm. We bear the torch that fell flaming from the hands of faithful men and women. Mm-hmm. Uh, and unless we do that well, we're handing them the next generation a cold match. And we're basically saying good luck. Yeah. Yeah. Which, which if I'm the next generation, I'm not helped by that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Agreed. So then, I mean, that kind of leads and kind of, um, frames up this next question pretty well. So why, why do we see so many, there's a lot, I know one pastor, this is anecdotal. So, I mean, I, I can't say that this statistic is true in every region and every state and every part of the country, but I know one pastor, my listeners have heard me say this before. I know one pastor who has started and finished ministry. Well, yeah, is that your next cup of coffee? Go get it. I know one pastor. I know one pastor who has finished ministry. Well, it's a mentor of mine. He's uh, 67 or eight now. And when I say finished well, I have a basic criteria for that. Okay. So number one, you still love Jesus and you know, you're loved by Jesus. So you, you're, oh, yeah. you're, okay. So number two, your wife still likes you. That's pretty mm-hmm. important. Um, number three, your kids respect you. You can't determine their, uh, their faith, but by the grace of God, we want minimally. I mean, we want our kids to know the Lord and humbly walk with them all the, with the Lord all the days of their life, but their kids respecting them. Uh, they, they still are making disciples and, mm-hmm. uh, and then there's been no hidden moral failure. I mean, you can have a moral failure and be restored and, and still finish well, but by those basic criteria, I'm, I know one in my region. Yeah. And then I know so many guys, it's not just public figures. It's not just the, you know, the mega church guys that burn out. It's the local guy, the, the local Southern Baptist pastor who yeah. ends up burning out. So why do so many pastors fail out, burn out, moral failure, all that? What, what's happening? Yeah, I think for me, it, uh, it's Philippians 2. Uh, there's a, uh, there's just a, a part of that passage says, look not only to your own interest, but to the interest of others. Uh, and a lot of guys in, in, in ministry, they skip that first part. 
And, and, the, and the whole, the emptying himself, the Philippians 2 motif is, you know, just, just pour yourself out for God and gospel and blah, blah, blah. Sounds great, but no one ever gets up at a conference and says, hey, look not only to your own interests. The Bible never tells us in ministry, forget about yourself. The reason those guys burn out, they, they have moral failure, they get disillusioned, they get depressed, is because they do not look to their own interest. The Bible mm-hmm. never says, hey, don't look to your own interest, like, act like you don't have needs. Uh, it says, look not only to your own interest. In other words, don't just look out for yourself, but look to the interest of others. Mm-hmm. They, they don't have this routines and this schedule of self-care. That sounds, oh, that's weak, that's for you know sissies or whatever. Uh, three times a year. I do what I'm doing right now. I go off by myself. Uh, my wife, there was a note by my coffee maker two days ago from my wife that simply said, Neil, I love you and I respect you deeply. And I'm so glad to be your wife. Mm-hmm. Um, when I left to come here, she said, I'm so glad you're getting away. Just I'm praying for wisdom and revelation. Uh, and so uh, I have habits of self-care uh, and, and soul preservation. And what helps is the people around me, my wife, my children, uh, they see that and they, 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 they understand that. They understand, yeah. hey, my dad gets tired. My dad needs to go just read and think and pray and listen. Uh, and so when they get tired, they don't feel guilty. Mm-hmm. Oh, we're the preacher's kids. We should have it all together. Uh, no, no. I, I, t- I tell my kids all the time, uh, you know, hey, I, I'm your dad. And, and that's the mo- one of the more important roles in my life. And, and you're more important than the people in my church. And if any point you don't feel like that, you come to me and tell me. Mm-hmm. And they laugh like, oh, Dad, we're great. Uh, for me, one of the, the gauges on the dashboard of my life is, do my kids still enjoy church? Mm-hmm. Uh, my oldest has surrendered to the call of ministry and has a job in student ministry when she graduates in May waiting for her. Mm-hmm. Uh, I told her, good luck with that, because these, these rascals, most of them are just lost. But... Uh, <laughs> I think we've, we've lost this. Um, I think we baptize the unbiblical form of austerity uh, in the name of being reformed or missional or whatever word we want to use. Uh, and and, and it's, it's, it's as simple as that. You got to have some boundaries around. I, I call it the, the four R's. You have okay. to have some, you have to regard yourself. Okay. Uh, I can't do everything. I can't do every wedding, every funeral, every pastoral care. So I've, I've worked hard to put together a team of called men and women at Grand Parkway and they can do it. They don't need me to do it. Uh, and I give them things to do. Like our men's uh, weekend is this weekend and Matt Carter from Austin Stone is coming to speak. And uh, one of the sessions we said, Hey, we don't want you to speak. We want you to just, one of our guys is going to interview you. We want to ask you questions like what's your theology of money? Uh, uh, what, what in the Bible lately has set your soul on fire? Uh, and Matt's not ready for that. Matt's going to be like, oh, I just want to speak. Uh, <laughs> and I told him, we're not fanboys. My, my, some of my guys don't even know who you are, dude, okay? So it's not, we don't want to hear about the ecclesiology of the Austin Stone. God bless mm-hmm. it, great church, but we're not here to put on David's, I mean, Saul's armor and go out and fight Goliath. Uh, but the guy that I've asked to interview him, he's the newest guy on our staff. Uh, and, and I'm not telling him until the night before I hand him the questions, go here, you're going to interview Matt tomorrow morning. Get ready. Uh, <laughs> he will rise to that because he's gifted and competent. Mm. And so uh, I think as pastors, especially when you know, I'm the lead pastor, uh, we think it all depends on us. It doesn't, it yeah. does yeah. not. Uh, somebody else preaches at least once a month at our church, sometimes twice a month. And our people like it. I mean, they say, Hey, it's not you, but we enjoy it. 
Uh, mm-hmm. We like that you expose us to different people because I don't, if Jared Sparks were in my church, how old are your kids? Uh, five and one. Okay. Is your five-year-old a boy or a girl? Boy, both boys. Okay. I don't want your five-year-old son, if you were in my church, to look up there and think, I have to have a, a personality like Pastor Neil in order to be used by God. Right. Uh, Good. And so one of the ways, as weird as it sounds, one of the ways I protect myself and practice self-care is that every time we have an opening on our staff, which is not very often, people like to work here for whatever reason. Um, uh, when we have an opening, my only requirement is simply this to the elders, that it be somebody that does not have my gifts or my personality. Hmm. And so our, our staff is diverse. Uh, and, and there's a joke that our executive pastor, that he and I are the odd couple. Uh, and, and I'm the messy, sloppy guy. He's a neatnik. But that preserves my soul because when I look around, I'm not looking at mirrors. I'm looking at windows. Yeah. I, I can see beyond myself. And so it doesn't, it doesn't increase this sense of pressure on me. That's good. And since you're so quiet and docile, you need somebody with a little bit of yeah. personality around there. Absolutely. Right. Yes. Pietist. Hey, so differentiate for me, because one of the things I have uh, come against is the unbiblical self-care that's in our society, in our world, that is different than what you're describing. And I want you to describe it differently for me. And you have a little bit, but one of the things I've noticed is that self, the self can do for, our, we, we can do for ourselves what used to require God to do and what biblically requires God to do. Uh, so we yeah. can care for ourselves, save ourselves, forgive ourselves, give ourselves grace, uh, fill in the, just the list goes on and on and on. We don't need God anymore because we can, we can take care of ourselves. Yeah. What you're yeah, describing I, is a healthy biblical spirituality, I think, that is, yeah. that is different than the, it includes, what you're describing includes deny yourself. Still. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, it, yeah. It's still, for me, the difference is one is therapeutic and, and that's, we, we fall in love with therapeutic. What I'm describing is theological. Uh, a lot of guys, you know, therapeutic is they have to go sit in a coffee shop all day and drink coffee and read a book and, and just kind of hang out. And, and I'm okay with that. That, 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 that's great. Uh, I say to our guys all the time, uh, put your soul in a context where it needs to be to flourish. Um, but uh, they also understand, hey, uh, I was created by God for God, for a relationship with God that brings glory to God. And so let me start there and work out. Um, and so, uh, like, for example, we, I talked about this this past week during our, our pastoral prayer time, uh, the difference in uh, anxiety and conviction. Uh, everyone mm. struggles with anxiety nowadays, and I'm not mocking that. I think anxiety is a real diagnosis. But sometimes it's like David said in Psalm 32, when I kept silent about my sin, my bones waxed old. Mm. Uh, sometimes your conviction manifests itself physiologically in your body. Yeah. So you, you, you're, yeah, you feel anxious because you haven't repented yet. Yeah, and so right. I, I, therapeutic, I, I'm not a big fan of the therapeutic because I think it's been abused and, and, mm-hmm. and ministry has just kind of has widened its tent to say, hey, we'll take that in. And so I got guys that not on, not on our staff because you, the, the, the joke around here is that we hire mules. We don't hire thoroughbreds. So if you mm-hmm. need a special diet and to be brushed every day, um, <laughs> <laughs> Even when we hire a woman, and, and recently we hired a, a young lady, uh, and she said, what's this thing about mules and thoroughbreds? I said, a mule just gets up and gets in the rigging and plows every day. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the joke around here is, hey, I, I tell them, hey, don't worry if the mule's going to pull. You just load the wagon. Uh, because ministry is hard work. Yeah. And, you, and you, you were created for exertion, not always comfort. Mm-hmm. But I, you know, I got guys that, you know, that call me and say, hey, and I ask them, what are you doing to care for your soul? And they say, well, I get a massage once a week. And I'm like, come on, Seabiscuit, you need to toughen up. <laughs> uh, 
because that's that's therapeutic that's i'm dysregulated and you know yeah. i just need a lot of me time and i'm like you need to die to yourself yeah that's uh, good but i come off as the harsh old guy simply because i i reference the bible to mm -hmm. people that are young guys in their 20s and 30s who i care about but I'm like, it's going to be a hard fight with a short stick for you, my man, because yep. you are so self-centered. Uh, the gospel has not found you and unwound you from yourself. And so here, here's, they have a lot of requirements, but they don't have a sense of responsibility. Yeah. A guy yep. asked me recently, he said, what's the difference in you and me? Uh, and I said, I don't know if I know you well enough to answer this question, honestly, but I'm going to because I'm not going to lie. And I said, let me own it. I experience you. This is not an accusation, but it's an observation. I experience you as someone who, who, who likes credit. Uh, I like responsibility. Yeah. And those two things work themselves out different in our lives. That's, that's helpful. That's so helpful. Thanks for that, uh, you know, making a distinction there because I, I think that's really helpful um, for us to know what you're talking about and also know what's healthy for us, the difference between th therapeutic care and then the self-care that, that you're describing. That's really good. Okay, so I, he I heard a preacher, uh, you've been preaching for years, uh, and heard a preacher once say, uh, you know, I'll, I'll throw his name out there because I appreciate him and other people may just hit, hit end and never listen to me again. But uh, Doug Wilson was talking about preachers, and he said a preacher can get up, the state of the church and the world today is that a preacher can get up and rant and rave and tell stories about himself for an hour. And at the end of that hour, people say, Oh my goodness, how humble that man was. Mm -hmm. Another man get up and preach the word, tell no stories about himself and preach as if, if he was dead, it was still going to be true. And, and he didn't really matter at all because all the, all that mattered was the words being, being proclaimed. And somebody say about that man, wow, how arrogant. Yes. And we've so twisted what we think preaching is that we can't, we can't see it when it's right there in front of us. And so yeah. you've been preaching for years. Tell, tell us why, why preaching is so important, what modern preaching gets wrong, and how we can kind of correct this thing called preaching. Yeah, I think to begin with, preaching is not a platform for bringing people yourself. Yeah, uh, amen. And, and a lot of guys, they fall into that, and they never get out. Uh, because in their preaching is stimulating. It's about stimulation, not education. Uh, and, and I have to stand up for my people, and I did a couple, three, four Sundays ago, and talked about – uh, it, it, one guy said that was kind of nerdy and I'm like, yeah, not every sermon you hear is a now word. Some of it's a later word. Uh, mm -hmm. I talked about, uh, I, I think social moralism, uh, and, and different, and, and different threats to, to the existence of absolute truth. Uh, from John, where Jesus says, for this purpose, I came into the world to testify to the truth. And I said, we have a shared calling in testifying to, to the same truth that Jesus came into the world. He was born and came into the world for this. Uh, but we live in a culture that does not believe in absolute truth uh, or any truth. It's, I got my truth. You got your, your truth. Uh, and so I think that the modern preacher, quote, unquote, there's not that many modern preachers. Uh, there's a lot of guys that are life coaches. Mm -hmm. uh, they're cultural architects. They've got some cheesy title they ripped off from the world. Uh, I don't know that I'd want my name on the culture that's being built around us. But anyway, it's, it's more hip and relevant and angsty to say, you know, I'm a cultural architect. Uh, I prefer to say that the kingdoms of this world are becoming the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ. Mm -hmm. Make sure you're on the right side of that when it goes down, because it's going down even now. Uh, but I, back to preaching, I, I think preaching doesn't have depth. Uh, it doesn't, therefore, it doesn't have much consequence. 
uh, I think we've lost confidence in the gospel. Mm-hmm. And so when you lose confidence in the gospel, there's no, no, no limit to the ends that you'll go to, to make it relevant. That's a big word. You know, I'm going to make God and like, like God needs help. I mean, this mm-hmm. is the God that spoke everything you see into existence. And Colossians says that all things are held together by this preexistent Christ. Tell me, preacher, what are you going to do to help that? Mm-hmm. Uh, if you really want to help your people, you should preach uh, a, a grand vision and view and theology of God. That will help them. Uh, and, and that takes time. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we are, uh, we're really just a microwave people. Uh, this is, this is agrarian. It is plow and pursue, plow mm-hmm. and pursue every Sunday you plow and you pursue people in the congregation. You've got your thumb on the pulse. You kind of see, Hey, who's processing and how are they process? What is the spirit doing in this, this man, woman, or child? And how can I come alongside that and parallel them like Philip in the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts eight, where he says, do you understand what you're reading? And the guy mm-hmm. says, how can I let someone explain it to me? And, and, and he invites Philip to come up in the chariot and, and explain to him. And this is beautiful. Uh, imagine that the Bible being full of beautiful things. Uh, <laughs> and, and, and it says this, it says, he was reading from the scroll of Isaiah and it says, and starting with that verse, he told him the story of Jesus. I think preaching today ought to be that Christ centered where we can start wherever people are in their curiosity, in their spiritual journey. That's a big word or in the reading of the Bible. Mm-hmm. We can do, we, we parallel people and we can just start with where they are and, and, and tell them the story of Jesus. We don't have to drag it to some context that we're comfortable with and say, Oh, well, you know, I went to a conference the other day and they said, blah, blah, blah. So let me try this out. No, no, no. We're very, uh, we're we're just led by the spirit Mm -hmm. and, 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 and and preaching, it it, it takes longer, uh, to, to, to really, uh, create an appetite for preaching in your people. Mm -hmm. Uh, but, but once you do, uh, there's a French proverb that says this, uh, the appetite grows with the eating. Uh, and we, I believe this, Jared, and I see it in my congregation. Uh, uh, we all have appetites in us that can only be awakened by the word. And once those appetites are awakened, that's all they want. Yeah. I tell young preachers all the time, you are responsible for the appetites you awaken in your people. Mm. And so be sober. And, and, and be diligent and be discerning about the appetites that you awaken in them. Yeah. Uh, because I've been here, like I said, almost 14 years. And I, I pre- we do, you know, we, we'll break it up. We'll take a break at certain stopping points in John and we'll do something. Mm-hmm. Uh, the next book we're, we're going to preach to is Daniel. Uh, and I told my people and they, they clapped. Uh, and, and I said, and the reason why is I think it's a great contemporary with where we are headed as a culture. Mm-hmm. Uh, we may be finding ourselves in the fiery furnace. Right. Um, they, they may take away our tax exemption. So we'll see who gives because this, this is what biblical stewardship is. Uh, not because I get a cookie from the government. Mm-hmm. Um, but in, in the meantime, we'll do some, for lack of a better way, we'll call them topical series, but it will come out of scripture uh, where we'll look at in first Samuel 15, talk about interpretive obedience where mm-hmm. God says that do this. And we kind of interpret, well, this is what I think he, and then along comes the prophet and says, what is this sound of bleeding? I hear in the background. Why do I hear sheep? When God said, kill everything up there, their yeah. sheep, their dogs, their cat, their French bulldog, their grandma, slaughter every one of those people and things. Mm-hmm. I don't need any of it. Uh, but we'll do that. Uh, but here's the re- responsibility. Here's the reality. I am responsible for having awakened in my people a deep, deep passion 
to hear the word preached. Amen. And if it's not preached, they are disillusioned and they're frustrated with me. And they will say, what, what was that? Hmm. Uh, now, by the grace of God, that has happened. But we've had some people, just guest preachers come in and people are, they're not condescending. They're not, it's, it's like you're being, you're starving and you come to the table and there's a fortune cookie on your mm-hmm. plate. Yeah. And it's like, they're kind of looking like, are, are you serious? You want me to make a meal out of this? That's not arrogance. It, it gets called arrogance. Uh, that's appetite. Yeah, that's good. That's really good. It's been a lot of fun for us. We started uh, our church about four years ago, and we've got to preach through Ephesians, Genesis, uh, Esther, Jude, uh, the book of John, and we're in, we're in Romans right now. And so we're eight months in Romans, and it's been, our people are so, I mean, it's been such a great response from our people. It's been so much fun. Yeah, they're starving. They're, yep. they're starving. Let me just say that it's, 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 again, imagine this, the Bible coming true. It's Amos 8, about verses 10 to 12, where, where, where Amos prophesies, or God prophesies through Amos and says, the days are coming, declare the sovereign Lord, when I send a famine on the land. Not a famine of food or drink, but a famine of hearing the words of the Lord. In that day, the love of young women and the strong young men will faint because of thirst. He says, men will stagger from north to south, searching for the word of the Lord, and they will not find it. Hmm. Uh, I have people that drive from an hour away. Wow. And I'm like, dude, you, you drive by 50 churches. Uh, and they all say the same thing. Uh, you, you teach the Bible here. Y'all yeah. teach the Bible. Yep. Uh, I mean, they do have Lakewood down there that they can. Yeah. Yes. Too, but. Just a big <laughs> sensory experience with a self-help guru. That's all that is. That's not yeah. a church. He's right. a motivational speaker. He should live in a van down by the river with Matt Foley. <laughs> uh, that's the quote that I'm going to put in the show notes right there. Is Osteen should live in a van down by the river with Matt, Matt Foley. I love it. Anyway, I hear you. I hear you. Okay. I got two questions for you. Two last questions. Number one, you mentioned earlier, you, you ask your, your children regularly, Hey, do you feel like that, uh, you know, that other people have priorities over, over, over me than you do? Uh, what are some things that you've practically put in place over the years? Now your kids are a little bit older. You're a little bit ahead of, uh, of the game when it comes to your, your children being older and where I'm at in life, them being on, on the front end of life, being younger, but what are some practical things you've done to make sure that you, you give your the best, best you and your wife, the best of yourself to them before you just give your exhausted self to them. Yeah. I, uh, I prioritize my family unapologetically. When I interviewed at Grand Parkway, I told him, I said, I will not sacrifice my family on the altar of ministry because traveling, I've met so many preachers, kids that hated the church mm-hmm. that didn't, didn't respect their dad. Uh, and so for, for my wife and I, uh, it's Proverbs 20 verse five. that says plans are hidden deep in the heart of a man but a person of understanding draws them out. We have worked hard to be the quote unquote person of understanding to our girls, uh, which means I pursue them intellectually. Uh, my oldest is feisty. She likes to, when she was 15, 16, she liked to get in debates with her dad. Uh, and, and I would say, I've got, I've got it on three. You want me to turn it up to six? Cause I'll just crush you. And she was like, bring it big boy. Uh, <laughs> and so, but my, my, my youngest is not like that at all. She's very, very deep feeler. Uh, and, and it's just like, Hey, can't we all just get along here? Um, uh, mm-hmm. so I pursue them differently, but I am the person of understanding. I invite them. Uh, now, uh, I invite my youngest to go with me. Hey, I'm going to home Depot and then I'm going to go by Starbucks. You want to go? Yeah. And I'm like, you want Starbucks? You want to be with your dad? She goes, ah, I like Starbucks, but I'll tolerate being with you. Very dry <laughs> yeah. sense of humor. Uh, 
and we have a great time. I pursue my kids. You know, I ask my, I, my, my kids, Hey, how are you managing your, your sexuality these days? Mm. That's a question yeah. I asked. I was just in Waco spending time, had dinner with my oldest, uh, Monday night. Uh, and, and so I just said, we raised our kids. Every relationship has what we call a currency. Okay. And we just said, Hey, we want the currency of this relationship to be trust. Mm-hmm. And so we consistently, when they were little, when they were two and three, we'd say, ask them to do something. They'd look at us kind of like, and we would always ask, do you trust us? And they mm-hmm. would, yes, yeah, I trust you. Okay. Then do, then do what I say. Uh, now they got to be 12, 13 and, and they'd get cockeyed and say, Hey, we'd say, Hey, put your phone away. Yeah. No more phone. You've had enough for the day. That, that little screen is going to shrink your brain and your worldview. And they give it my dad. I'm like, Hey, do you trust me? And they would say, Oh, I hate that question. Like, why do you hate that question? Because I know I can't. Okay, then trust me by obeying. And they would. Mm-hmm. And so now that she's 22, I say, hey, is it still a good idea for me to trust you? And she looks me right in the eye and says, yes, dad, it is. Okay. Do you still feel like you can trust me? Absolutely. Uh, and so we sacrificed for our kids. We mm-hmm. drove up to Baylor for, on Friday for the homecoming, went to the bonfire, went to dinner, went to Singspiration, went to the bonfire, and then drove back at home late, early in the morning. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I'm willing, to, I'm willing to sacrifice for my kids. If my kids see me making sacrifices for everybody else and not for mm-hmm. them, that's a bad ecclesiology. Yeah. Simply because it, it, it teaches them uh, th- this is what the people that lead the church do to their family. I think that's a bad stewardship of your family. Yeah, that's good. All right, I'm going give to give you an opportunity to talk about the grace of God. Why, why do you love Jesus so much, Neil? Oh, oh man. Uh, because I, I, I always think when somebody in my church dies, this is a weird answer. When somebody in my church dies, uh, I don't just do a stock funeral where I just say the same thing and change the name. Uh, I, I sit and ask myself, where do I see this person in the gospel? Uh, and that always comes out differently. Uh, and it, it really honors the deceased. Uh, when you ask that question just now, I'm like, you know, what, what popped into my spirit is, uh, is Luke 7, the sinful woman in Luke 7 who shows up, Jesus is having dinner at the house of a Pharisee, and this woman doesn't know any better. She just barges in, and she's just anointing Jesus' feet and wiping it with her hair. And, and, and the Pharisees is, are all looking, and I love the beauty. This is what I mean when I say close your eyes and run your fingers along the jagged contours of the text. It says in, in that passage that I think it's the guy's name was Simon, the head guy. There was a dinner at his house. He's like, it, it, the, the text says he thought to himself, if Jesus were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. And Jesus just reading his mail. And the, I think mm-hmm. the text says Jesus, knowing what they were thinking. Just stop right there, Jared Sparks. We are in relationship with a God that knows what we're thinking. Mm. If we would just embrace that aspect of God's sovereignty, we'd stop being so phony. Uh, but I digress. Anyway, uh, <laughs> and so why do I love Jesus so much? Because I've been forgiven much. Because Jesus, he, he, he reads these religious weasels' mail, and, and then he finally kind of turns and looks at the woman and, and says, hey, she, she loves so much because she's forgiven, been forgiven much. Well, hey, this has been a lot of fun. I'm so thankful that, that you had an opportunity to jump on here with me. I think our listeners are going to enjoy this. So thanks so much, Neil McClendon, for coming on the show. Uh, you're welcome. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit theshepherdscrook.co. For care and counsel, please call, text, or email to set up a session. You can follow The Shepherd's Crook on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And please consider sharing this episode and leaving a review on iTunes or whatever other podcast platform you use. And let me encourage you to remember Jesus Christ.